Future Proof Extra from News Talk. Now, during lockdown last year, a bright flash of light was seen across the skies of the Cotswolds in the UK. So bright, it was seen by nearly everything from the naked eye to telescopes and even doorbell cameras. It was something from outer space, a meteor. And while most of these interstellar objects burn up in the atmosphere, some, the ones that blow up the Chrysler building in Armageddon, well, they're called meteorites. Immediately after the sighting, the hunt was on to find the biggest and most important meteorite ever to land in Britain. Oni O'Brien is an astrobiology and planetary science PhD student at the University of Glasgow. She joins me now. Uh, Onya, um, before we talk about this uh, meteorite, um, what are you researching uh, at the moment? So my research is all about trying to understand whether the planet Mars has the right ingredients for life to form. So every living thing on Earth that we know about um, is based around the atom carbon or the element carbon. And I'm basically trying to zap rocks from Mars, so mostly meteorites from Mars, um, with lasers, x-rays, and crushing them and dissolving them, and searching for organic, so carbon-based molecules, to try and see where, what kind of carbon is in there, where might it have come from, and to try and see, basically, does Mars have the right ingredients for life to form, or did it in the past? But you haven't gotten Mars rocks yet, have you? Well, we've got meteorites from Mars. Yes. Yeah, so these are rocks that have been ejected from the Martian surface by some kind of asteroid right, okay. impact. Yeah. Oh, I see. So th- so an asteroid impact hits Mars and then it continues on to Earth. Well, the asteroid hits Mars and then it kind of causes a splash, kind of like if you drop a rock into a puddle and you're going to get a splash of the water of the puddle. If that splash was big enough, it could escape the gravity of the planet. And effectively, that's what happens. If you have a really big impact on Mars, you get a splash of its own um, surface and some of those rocks float around in space for a while, a few thousand years, and just serendipitously, serendipitously, randomly land here on Earth and we get to study them. But if we've never taken anything from Mars, because I believe that's in the works, trying to, to get something from Mars back, if we've never done that, how do you know the rocks you're sampling are actually from Mars? Yeah, so great question. Essentially, the rocks that we have in our these meteorites, they match up to the experiments that the rovers on Mars have done. So things like Curiosity, Perseverance, and the um, mission going this year, ExoMars, these have all got like their onboard chemistry experiments. So you can see exactly what they're made of. And we can match those up to say that, oh, it's the same composition, the same isotopes, everything in there matches up to the meteorites we have that say, oh, the only thing, the only place this could have come from in the solar system is Mars. So only since we've put rovers on Mars and done those sorts of experiments, were we able to qualify that these rocks, um, which obviously were of interest in the first place, being meteorites, were from Mars. Is that right? That was when it was made for certain, yeah, decided for certain. They were already grouped together. Um, Some very clever people um, started to realize there's something in common with these meteorites. People started to sort of suspect that they might be from Mars. Um, Then with the Vikings missions in the 70s they started to match them up and then it, yeah really only in the sort of 90s we were absolutely certain yes these are martian meteorites that's so cool and, and so we are planning on on on, do, on getting stuff directly from mars today isn't that right so the the mars sample return can you tell me what that is yeah sure so that's going to be pretty much the most ambitious thing we've ever done um, in terms of missions to Mars or probably in the solar system ever, um, which is going to be bringing back samples from Mars. Sounds pretty simple, just bringing a bit of rock back from Mars. But um, 
it's a decades long process because we've got to get a rocket to Mars, get a rover, which is there now, that's the Perseverance rover, roving around, picking up samples that are interesting um, and then caching them for then another rover to come along and collect them to then ascend up to an orbiter that will then send it back to Earth. And that's just got so many different parts to play. Um, and it's really over many, many years and just so much to think about how, how, how do you have enough fuel to go to Mars and then back again? That's a really, really tricky part of it, to be honest. Um, and how does it stay in that orbit with all that sort of cold temperatures and things like that to then go back again? Um, so there's a lot to think about. We've even got to think about the planetary protection side, which is this idea that if Mars does have life on it, um, what if we bring it to Earth and like contaminate Earth? Um, so we actually have to think how how do we store this so that you know if we open it up you know like some kind of sci-fi movie, um, what's going to happen? So there's so many different elements to what when you have to think about if we're going to bring a piece of Mars back to Earth, um, what are we going to do and how do we do it safely? We might return to that because I believe something like that is is currently underway for some of the um, the meteorite that uh, you were looking for. But um, before we talk about the the Winchcombe um, meteorite, perhaps you might tell me a little bit about where meteorites come from and what they're made of. Mm -hmm, sure. So we have a few different types of meteorites. Um, so some of them, like I said, some of them come from planets. So come from Mars. We have lunar meteorites, so ones from moons. Um, we've, even, we've even got lunar meteorites that have bits of the Earth in them. So we know that bits of Earth have transferred to the moon and then those have transferred back to the Earth again. Bonkers. Um, we have most, <laughs> yeah, make crazy. Uh, most meteorites come from asteroids. So these are our rocky bodies that um, float around in the asteroid belt, which is in between Mars and Jupiter. Um, and then we have a bunch of um, meteorites that also come from kind of the inside of smashed up planets that don't still exist anymore. So these are metallic, really heavy iron based meteorites that are beautiful things and super heavy um, that are literally, yeah, the inside of a smashed up planet. Um, so uh, comets, uh, big balls of ice, they don't typically turn into meteorites. Is that right? No, you can get. Uh, meteorites from a comet um it would be trickier because comets are so um comets we like to call them like a dusty snowball and they're so yeah. icy so what you'd get by the time it comes to earth is um obviously all the ice would have just melted away sort of burned away but we do get um we think remnants of comets as meteorites but much it's much less likely um or if we do they might be more like what we call micro meteorites which are sub millimeter tiny little dust particles that land all the time you've probably even got them on the roof most most buildings in in, in the world have them on the roof even um wow. so that's the sort of thing we probably find so if after you know um at least 4.5 billion years since the sun was formed is that is that, is that about right something like yep, that about that yeah if it's been that long, surely things have settled down into regular orbits. Why do we see meteorites, you know, hit Earth at all, given the the pull of gravity and the, the sort of predictability that we now have with the rotation of the planets and the sun and so on? Yeah, so really good question. Um, essentially, the um, solar system is like in a dynamic state. Things are constantly changing um, with things like asteroids. They are going to be constantly bombarded with um, radiation from the sun which is going to kind of change them over time. It's going to gradually sort of break them up. They're also going to collide with each other as well. And um, there's a whole really busy asteroid belt. So you're going to get little bits clumping into each other, banging into each other, and gradually things will break off. And then 
float around in space and we'll just serendipitously bump into them. So what can these meteorites that do land from asteroids and give us a decent bit of material to work with, what can they tell us about the universe and why are they of such interest? Yeah, so they are super important and super interesting because asteroids have kind of remained pretty much unchanged, a lot of them, for the last four and a half billion years. There's parts of them where they've had no kind of um, alteration, which is just a posh word for kind of water effects, like weathering, um, changing them, or maybe no heating for a really long time. And so they kind of give us like a little um, flashback in time to what was happening in the solar system back when they were formed. And we can use the isotopic ratios to find out exactly when that was. And from that, we can see kind of build up a model of exactly how the solar system was formed. There's little minerals in um, in chondrites, which are some of our stony meteorites that are literally older than the sun or literally all the oldest things in the solar system even, um, which can mean we can kind of take them apart one atom at a time, look at the isotopes in there and really feed it into the, the astronomers models who look at the gravitational effect in the solar system. We can feed those sort of atom by atom measurements in to their models to really get a really good model of exactly how the solar system was formed and ultimately kind of why we're here today. So are all meteorites chondrites? Are they all um, the same in that way? No, not at all. Um, we, the most common kind of meteorite we do call an ordinary chondrite, but they certainly are anything but ordinary because these have got our oldest minerals in there. We've also got our iron meteorites. So these are the ones that have um, sort of come from the inside of smashed up planets. They have absolutely beautiful patterns in them and they're all individual because they've crystallized over a really long time, like thousands of years in space. So they all have these absolutely beautiful patterns on them. And we've also got our stony ions, which are funnily enough, a mixture of stone and iron. Um, and they're also known as palisites and they are beautiful because what you see in them are um, igneous minerals kind of mixed in with metal. And they're often used for things like jewelry and stuff. Right, I think um, Tutankhamun had a dagger made of that stuff, didn't he? Yes, so that is what's amazing. Um, there is uh, a lot of records of meteorites, particularly iron meteorites, in archaeology over time. So before we, as humanity, were able to um, kind of make our own metal, the only metal they were able to make was or use uh, was from meteorites. So, and we know, and we know that because we can see the patterns. These, it's called the Weidmann-Stanton pattern. Oh, that's hard to say. Um, and from that, we can see um, evidence from all over the world of people making swords, daggers, all sorts. And like you say, in the Egyptians as well. Wow. So th so the only source of metal pre-Bronze Age was from meteorites. And that was actually yeah. incorporated into jewellery and, and artefacts at the time. It's, that's really good. Cool. All over the world, there's evidence of it. And so it's, it's sort of what brought people together. It's gorgeous. So tell me about the Winchcombe uh, lockdown meteorite. What exactly happened and how were you involved? Yeah, so on Sunday, the 28th of February in last year, um, I was sat scrolling Twitter, kind of despairing at the state of the world as I normally do, um, or was at that time in particular. <laughs> um, and then suddenly I started getting all these pictures and videos popping up of this meteor, this fireball, which is what we call a meteor that just lands, lasts longer than about a second. And it just really, really took off. Um, it was all over my Twitter feed, more so than usual, like, you know, shooting stars, meteors, they're not that uncommon, but this was another level. Um, 
I don't know if it was a combination of lockdown or the fact that it was good weather conditions maybe, but something just really captured the public that night. Um, so it was about five to 10 on that Sunday evening. Um, and by, I don't know, about 11 p.m., I just c- couldn't take my eyes off Twitter. I was just like, I want to see another picture. I want to see someone's video from their doorbell. I want to see someone's dash cam video. And then I finally got to sleep after the excitement. But in the morning, I texted my colleague, who I know um, part of his job is actually to look at this network of cameras that tracks um, fireballs all around the world. But he set up the camera networks in the UK. So these are sort of DSLR cameras hooked up to a fisheye lens that can sort of look across a really large portion of the sky. And then some really sort of clever computer scientists can turn those footage into, um, say, if if it picks up a fireball, they can turn that footage into, oh, we can work out exactly where it's going to be. And even more crucially, where it's come from as well, which is amazing. So that morning, I tested, yeah crazy so we actually know the orbit of winchcombe and which asteroid it's come from which is bonkers um <laughs> yeah so i texted him and was like oh did you pick up that fireball last night on your cameras and he said yep i've just woken up to some very excited emails um and over the days that the next couple of days it transpired that one piece had been found on this um front driveway by this family in winchcombe and at this point They'd ran the maths from the camera network and they said, there's going to be more pieces. Their modeling is so good that they can say in this area, we think that the size will be, say, 50 grams. Um, in this area, the mass will be 10 grams. You know, they can even wow. say, yeah, it's amazing. The mass is unbelievable. Across like a few hundred meters, they could say in this area, this is what to look for. So when we were out, we had we were like, OK, we know what we're looking for. We need to try and get approvals, which was really quite tricky at that point in lockdown um, because Glasgow to Gloucestershire, it's a seven hour drive. So when at that point, um, Scotland had a five mile travel limit. So um, Hmm. we got uh, travel approval eventually through escalators to the very top of the university. Um, And it was a case of, right, let's convene and as so totally social socially distanced basically searching as many fields as people would let us in and after a few days we got lucky and we found actually the biggest most intact piece uh, in a sheep field and a sheep field full of poo and it was literally like a dark long thing that looked a lot like a sheep poo so really really lucky um, <laughs> and it's now the piece that's on display in the natural history museum as well um, so it was just an amazing thing to be part of and then we got back and I was told by my supervisor like just drop your PhD now. Um, we need you to plan an experiment for next week on this meteorite. Um, and that's because this the Winchcombe meteorite is a carbonaceous chondrite, which is a really organic rich, carbon rich meteorite, which is really interesting to people like me who study organic molecules, um, but also to kind of anyone in the meteorites world really, because it has been unchanged for four and a half billion years. Mm. So it's super important. And yeah, it was a bit wild because it was in my last, well, my last coming up to the end of my PhD and essentially told, right, drop everything and do a PhD, do a experiment <laughs> on a meteorite you never expected to, to, to have, but amazing thing to be part of for sure. Can I ask, why is it important to do it so quickly? I mean, why, why, why not just wait until after lockdown and then do the search or, or why not wait until later to do the experiment? I mean, it's a rock, it's not going to change, is it? 
No, that's a really good question. So yes, it, it totally would um, be really affected. So we had to do the search straight away because literally if it rained, it would have been really damaged. So we were really lucky that the piece we found, we found it before there was any rain, just like any rocks on earth gets weathered, gets eroded by rain. And um, these are pristine rocks that in from space where they've never sort of been rained on. Um, and we want to see, we want to study them before that's happened. As soon as you've got any kind of contamination from earth, you're going to lose that ingredients, those fingerprints of where it's come from. And it's particularly important in my world of organics because on earth, everything on earth is full of um, carbon-based molecules. So the longer it sits mm. in any kind of environment, the bigger chance it's going to get contaminated. And, and so that's why um, some of the pieces of this meteorite are now uh, enclosed in a nitrogen-filled cube with sort of rubber gloves going inside trying to preserve the 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 freshness of the meteorite so to speak is that right yeah precisely um i remember on the tuesday evening driving back from gloucestershire we had a sort of team's call across the whole uk of everyone who'd been involved before the press release went out and one of the, the conversations that we were having was quick, who's got 10 grand to spend on a special holder for it because it's going to need its own one and no one saw this coming. And that was an actual conversation we had to have. So completely. <laughs> well, I know this is um, this is an exciting area for you because it's it's still ongoing. You have an experiment next week. So, so good luck with it. And thanks very much for sharing. Fascinating story. Uh, Oni O'Brien is a PhD student, University of Glasgow. Thanks, Oni. Thank you so much. 